The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm here with our usual co-host, Spetsch the Wizard. And last week we were... We were out and about for the Super Bowl, and we've had some time to mull it over and draw some conclusions. Spencer, let's give your analysis, please, of the Super Bowl. Well, I first want to say thank you uh, for Voice America for giving us a great platform to voice our sports opinions, and it's great to be back on Bruce the Sports Talk. It's great to be home, and it's great to be back on on Voice America. And speaking about the Super Bowl, which happened uh, 16 days ago, that game was really surprising because you'd think that one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time would not have put his team in such a hole that he did in the first half. The Denver defense wasn't even that poor in the first half. It could have been a lot worse than I think the score was twenty-one to twenty-one to three. I think the score was at half. Uh, just the Seattle. It was actually twenty-three to nothing at half. Excuse me, or twenty-two-zero. And I looked at Peyton Manning, and he was just. He was out of sync. And you have to give credit to the Seattle Seahawks defense. Earl Thomas is a strong safety. Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman. They they are able to stack their defense. They're able to play seven guys in coverage. And they're able to rush four. Because with Cliff Averill, their defensive ends are so talented. They totally exploited the Denver offensive line who had a horrible game. Starting from Manny Ramirez, the center, to all of the guys on the offensive line. When you only have to rush four and are able to get to the quarterback, that's pretty much checkmate. I don't care how good of a quarterback is playing out there. Whether it's uh, Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, uh, John Elway. No one would have solved that Seahawks defense because they have one of the best secondaries of all time. And when you rush four, that should really be your weakness. When you're only when you're rushing that little of guys at the quarterback, 
a decent offensive line will give the quarterback all day to throw the football. So then the receivers are able to maybe have eight seconds on one snap to get open. Then eventually you'll find holes in the secondary. But since four guys are getting to the quarterback and you're not blitzing, and then you have all those guys out there that only need to cover for three to four seconds, then you're going to be forcing balls into coverage like Manning did on that Chancellor interception. And then you're going to find yourself in some real trouble. Also, the Broncos should have rushed the ball more with Moreno for five yards. They should have played ball control. You don't need to score touchdowns or even field goals. You just need to control the clock, get first downs, punt the ball away, play special teams field position, and play a low-scoring game. You're not going to pass all over these guys like the Oakland Raiders. You're not going to do that. So in this game, the the 49ers had a nice blueprint with running it with Gore, not letting Kaepernick throw the ball all over the field, risking interceptions, throwing five-yard safe passes, controlling the clock, and just getting 10 yards at a time. If you look at if you passed it to Wes Welker or uh, Eric Decker, they could basically catch the ball for seven yards and then just sit down and not get hurt and not get smacked. Basically, the Seahawks are spotting you underneath yardage. You take what the defense gives you, which Manning did, completing 35 of 47 passes for a Super Bowl completion record. You continue to do that, but you do that in the first half, and then the receivers catch the ball and kneel on the ground so you're not getting hit. That's the formula to beat the Seahawks. And watching that football game, Mark Sanchez of the New York Jets and the team from 2010 would have fared better than Peyton Manning. I know that sounds ridiculous that Mark Sanchez would fare better in a Super Bowl than Manning, but the point is that offense, that team was run heavy with Sean Green, and Mark Sanchez would pretty much play a game manager role and not turn the ball over, and that was a great success in the playoffs. That's why they got to two straight AFC championships with a decent quarterback, not even a great quarterback. So to beat Seattle, you have to play their own game. You're not going to light them up in the secondary. You're not going to be throwing, you know, 40-yard fly routes all over these guys. What you have to do is play low possession, long possession football by just getting first downs, not turning the ball over, not panicking when you're not getting third downs, punting the ball away, making Russell Wilson beat you, and playing field position with these guys and giving yourself a chance to win down the stretch. So a run-heavy team like the Niners or like the 0-10 New York Jets would have fared a lot better than the Denver Broncos. It was a tough matchup for them. They're used to playing finesse where the receivers are not getting touched. They're used to playing finesse, throw the ball all over the yard football, and they ran up against a team that put seven superior guys in coverage. You're just not going to have easy pickings. You're going to run into a lot of trouble. I certainly agree with that. The uh, The Seahawks had a vaunted defense, and the old saying is defense beats offense. I saw a lot of Denver this year, and Peyton Manning had Guys in his face the whole game. Guys batting balls up in the air. Never got in his comfort zone. And, and you know, Denver had one of the best defensive lines in the league. And so there was a breakdown of coverage, of protection, excuse me. And 
the Seahawks really hit hard. If you watch that game, and I've seen replays of most of it, you'll see that every time a tackler comes in, he brings the guy to the ground. No missed tackles. I mean, no up, blown tackles. And, you know, Seattle just blitzkrieged that game, and they within a short while of watching the game, it was not a contest. You're absolutely right about Seattle blitzkrieging the game. It was clearly obvious to see that. The huge pick six, the Broncos were down 15 to nothing. You thought if they could have scored a touchdown, it would have been 15 to seven. But the bottom line is every time you try to throw a pass for Seattle, it's a great chance that there's going to be an interception just because of how elite those guys are. You have to play keep away, throw the ball underneath, like I mentioned, or run the football. My question for you is did Seattle provide a blueprint of how to build an NFL franchise and what do you think Russell Wilson's low contract, how did that benefit Seattle in making a juggernaut team? Well, in many teams, the quarterback ties up so much cap space. Look at Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. The fact that, that um, essentially Russell Wilson is second year, they had a lot of money to, to side free agents. They also they side this guy Cliff Averill, who's a big part of their uh, their defensive line. And he was he was not expensive. So the the general manager drafted very well. They also picked up free agents dirt cheap off the rock pile. And I don't see a lot of general managers having that kind of courage. Do you think that the Seahawks, after three years, if Russell Wilson wants to be the third highest paid quarterback in the league, will this affect Seattle's defense? And do you think Seattle then becomes a more finesse offense where Wilson's putting up big stats, but they're not winning games in this, in uh, February or January? So your question is, when Russell Wilson gets paid, and it's a matter of when, not if, how will that affect the other players in the team? It'll certainly reduce the pool of money. You might see the free agents, you might see guys like Richard Sherman, you know, drifting away. And... So the the fact that they don't have a lot of cap space, I mean, a lot of cap hits with Russell Wilson is, is a good thing. Similar to the Eagles with Nick Foles, he only ties up about 600,000 of cap space. So, uh, you know, that that's the way the teams evolved. You know, they, they win the Super Bowl, they make a lot of money, and then they usually downsize. They do a little fire sale to get rid of their players. Right, and it's all about making the most of opportunity. Seattle had a... You know, Seattle's defense last year, you saw Matthew Ride just go in there and he torched them in the playoffs. They were up, if you remember. Russell Wilson led them back, essentially won the game. They were up two points. And last year in Atlanta during the playoffs, they had a, they had an epic collapse at the end of the game where Matt Ride just was like a knife just going through hot butter on the Seattle Seahawks defense. And it's amazing how they turned it around and how they helped Seattle and you know and how just 11 guys bought into the system of playing for one another taking care of your responsibility while looking at the larger picture and when you have a perfect puzzle of a defense kind of like the 03 Tampa Bay Bucks it's uh, it's possible to win a Super Bowl and you know you look at the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Bucks it's Brad Johnson who's a career backup quarterback the winner of the 2000 Super Bowls, Trent Dilfer, who's not in any way, 
He's a good, solid quarterback, but he's not even up for consideration for a Hall of Fame ballot because he's mostly primarily a backup. And those are two interesting stats that maybe quarterback play, even though it's so prevalent now with it's such a passing league the NFL is becoming, you don't have to have a juggernaut at quarterback to win. And Russell Wilson's very good, but he's not a juggernaut like Peyton or Tom Brady. And there's going to be a point in Russell Wilson's career where he might turn into a Drew Brees, where he might just explode with stats because he has a very strong arm, he's mobile, he's going to continue to get more intelligent. And and soon, I believe Russell Wilson in about five years will have great receivers, will have an average running back, and his defense will be average, and he will be departing in the second round of playoffs for a team that has a fresher defense. Because I do believe in the end, that defense does win championships and when you looked at the Giants when they played the New England Patriots that were perfect 18-0 the Giants had one of the best defensive lines in NFL history and Mike Strahan, OCU Minora and Justin Tuck and they were able to go ahead and sack Tom Brady in that Super Bowl and their defensive line took over the game and even though New England had the best passing attack maybe ever the Giants were able to negate that with their superior defensive line play. So defense, defensive line, having cap space to fuel into your defense is vitally important. And then you just need a quarterback that has a great head on his shoulders and you need an offense that is capable of moving the ball. And Russell Wilson is solid and Marshawn Lynch was a fantastic free agent pickup. We've run out of time on this first segment. We can't wait to jump into more NFL talk. And we are also going to talk about Marcus Smart, Oklahoma State, and the whole scandal that erupted in Lubbock, Texas. Thank you for listening to Bruce the Sports Doc. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? 
Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. A lot of news flying around this week. We're going to try to hit some of our opinions with respect to the news. Uh, firstly, there was a guy, his name is Michael Sam from the University of Missouri, who came out as the first prospective gay member of the NFL. And for the most part, he was applauded by the masses on Twitter and, and Facebook for, for coming out and having the courage to identify where, where he was. This was a huge step. In NFL football, because you had Jason Collins in the NBA come out and say that he was gay. And with Jason Collins, he's already been a journeyman, so for most of his career, he kept it private and did not reveal this with anybody. And Collins, I believe he retired last season at the age of 39. He didn't go through his whole career with being identified as a homosexual. And now you have Michael Sam. Who is going? who's a highly touted defensive end from the University of Missouri. The reason why it's so brave of Michael Sam to reveal that he is a homosexual is because he has his whole career in front of him. And NFL GMs are looking at Michael Sam and his whole profile when evaluating if he should be selected for their roster. So for Michael Sam to do this, and now for his whole NFL career to be identified this way, is very brave, and obviously the NFL should be very appreciative of Michael Sam for doing this, and should be very supportive through this process, so that more players will feel more comfortable in the NFL landscape. Bruce, you looked at the whole bullying campaign with Jonathan Martin and Richie Incognito, And now Michael Sam is able to be brave enough to display that he is a homosexual, which is is not something that a lot of NFL players do. If NFL players are gay, they haven't done it before. My question to you is... How how does the NFL, how do the locker rooms how do you think they react to this? You already saw some support for president and the first lady. How do the NFL locker rooms really handle this situation? And are you a little bit worried because the NFL is such an alpha male type of aggressive sport in that manner that guys are known in the NFL to be more uh, more profanity laced than in most professional sports? With respect to Michael Sam, I'm not at all concerned that his conduct will be very professional and he he will try to make people not uncomfortable about it 
it'll just depend on you know what the fans think, what they what they say, and to some degree, there's an there's some old um, some old attitudes in the locker room and, and words, derogatory words are thrown around a lot. So I think Michael Sam will be a good teammate, just like he was at Missouri, and hopefully he'll have a team that he can really you know let lay back upon. Right. It depends on the leaders of the locker rooms, the older guys, the veterans, taking the young guys and uh, and talking to them about treating every teammate with respect. As long as Michael Sam is getting treated the same way as other teammates, I'm sure that it will be a harmonious situation. But for Michael Sam, big kudos on that that act of courage and uh, presenting uh, his form of sexuality and being proud of it. So... We wanted to relay that sentiment of sports news. Other news also coming in the Midwest, coming out of the Midwest, is that Oklahoma State guard Marcus Smart, who is a guy that Chad Ford and many NBA evaluators have in lottery position in their mock drafts, he went down to Lubbock, Texas to pay, to play a Big 12 te- um, basketball game versus the Texas Tech Red Raiders, a hostile environment in Lubbock. And a fan that is usually at the Texas Tech games, Jeff Orr, got pushed by Marcus Smart late in the second half during Saturday's defeat for the Cowboys as they fell to Texas Tech, a big upset in Lubbock. And Marcus Smart went and he lost his cool and went into the stands and actually shoved a fan that was watching the game in Jeff Orr. But Marcus Smart was headed back to the huddle and then he turned to go back into the stands. So it's obvious that Jeff Orr said something that that really turned Marcus Smart off. He said something that was very alarming. And what Jeff Orr revealed that he said was that he called Marcus Smart a, quote, piece of crap. Now, there was evidence on a GoPro that could have been edited. Note, it could have been edited by Texas Tech fans where it was where there was footage of a guy calling Marcus Smart a piece of crap before getting hit. But that could have been getting edited. What my take on this is that Marcus Smart is a star player. He's used to getting heckled because he's the superstar. He's used to hearing things. So, and also, in this modern culture, there Marcus Smart, he's a guy that has probably heard a lot worse than piece of crap. And for him to get that infuriated, to turn around, go in the stands... And confront Jeff Orr in such a manner, that makes me to believe that there was more that was said than just, quote, piece of crap. Bruce, my question to you is that when you heard about that, about those words, did you think that there was maybe more a, a racial slur or something more offensive than calling someone a, quote, piece of crap? I think that to insult somebody's race, religion, to their face, right there is more offensive than using a general term like a piece of crap. That word 
could be used generically. We know the, the rivalry between A&M and um, Oklahoma State. So there's two ways to look at it. On one hand, there's no justification for a player pushing or physically attacking a fan at all. The players have to learn how to play at hostile arenas, and Marcus Smart appropriately deserved the three-game span. But on the other hand, fans that are abusive and curse, if you look at the back of the ticket stubs when you go to sporting events, it mentions that, it, that if somebody uses cursing or abusive language, they could be removed from the stadium, and also a, a, a person could lose their season, their season tickets uh, due to that type of bad conduct. So I think the conduct was bad on both people's part. But Marcus Smart, you know, he's a young guy. He's going to have to learn. People are going to bait him, but he's got to learn how to control himself. You're right. Everybody's going to look to bait you if you're the star athlete in that situation. I thought that Jeff Orr said he's not going to be going back to another Texas Tech game, but this this definitely brings up a larger topic, a larger issue in sports, and that is that when you go to a basketball game or a football game, it doesn't give you the excuse to act out of society's norms. you got to still act like a person. And would you really be even calling someone a piece of crap? There's no reason to really do that. There's no reason to treat another human being like that. Use the golden rule in such cases. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And in a sports arena, for fans, it's would you want to be called that if you're a player on the road? If Jeff Orr was playing basketball, say he's playing for Texas Tech, the team he cheers for, and he goes to, to Stillwater and fans are baiting him, calling him horrible words... How would he feel in that situation when he's not the majority, when he's not the the 18,000 that are in attendance or probably the 12,000? How would he feel when he's in that situation? And you just have to use that in sports. Now, I know people think it could throw off another player. Sometimes it could even motivate another player to try to beat down the team you're rooting for even more. It just doesn't hold a place. And to get a cheap laugh from a friend that's sitting next to you, is that really worth it when you're going home and you're hurting these young college kids' feelings? Also, these kids are in college. Marcus Smart's a 19-year-old kid. For you to be saying that to someone who's 19 is just completely unacceptable. Completely. Cheer for your team if you're loud and encouraging your team it's even more distracting you don't have to step out and make fun of other players and it's funny sports is the only arena where i guess that kind of barbaric behavior is condemned and it should it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be the way that way at all so thank you for listening to bruce sports stock we will be back in three What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. 
Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're here with one of my favorite players, number 59, Seth Joyner. Now, this guy was always a great leader of the team, and uh, I just wish there was somebody, I'm, sh- I'm sure, on this team who could even be a quarter of the leader that Seth was, and we would certainly have a different attitude. Certainly, that was the day when we had all the great players. We had Gang Green, Reggie, Jerome, and, uh, and Seth is now, I hear, living in the Valley of the Sun, and he came over to, uh, to our wintry mix here, and he's, he's gracing our presence here at the Philadelphia Convention Center, and sponsored, of course, by WIP. And Seth, first we want to, uh, to hear about what, what you've been doing since your retirement. Oh, since I retired, uh, many things. I mean, I do a little public speaking, um, do football camps. I got an 11-year-old, so I'm really involved, you know, with youth sports and things of that nature. And, um, you know, recently been here in, in Phoenix, here in Philadelphia, rather, um, doing the, um, the Joining and Clear show. Um, we do a TV show. We tape on Mondays at, um, at South, Philly, South Philly Bar and Grill. Um, and then the show airs on Fridays um, from 8 to 8.30 on WMCN Channel 44. That's great. So Channel 44, is that a television station? WMCN is a t- uh, television station that comes on Comcast, DirecTV, Fios, and uh, The Dish. So what we do is we tape it at South Philly Bar and Grill from the, at 8 to 9, and then it airs on Friday from 8 to 8.30 on WMCN. And we probably might be going to a station called Bounce also that's part of WMCN. And this is Artie Clear. And Artie is a guy who is, uh, he's been great to our retired athletes, and he, he really knows everybody. We were talking about off-air. So I think it's very important for you guys to, to lock into that station because I know, Seth, the one thing about him is he always gave a very straight-up interview. Not, we, we don't want politically correct stuff. We had enough of that with, with Big Red, who's now in Kansas City. So we want to get down and dirty. We want to hear what's going on. And that leads us right into the next question. 
we've, we've, our team, the Eagles, has got a four-game winning streak, and we've got Detroit, a team that likes to play indoors, coming to our house tomorrow. It seems like we've snapped the, the 10-game snafu, the winless streak, and it looks like we have some momentum. So uh, I'd like to hear you break down the game, Seth. Well, I mean, it's an interesting game, no doubt, just from the standpoint of, you know, what Detroit brings to the table offensively and where the Eagles' defense is at this point in time. I mean, the Eagles' defense has a tremendous challenge because a guy like Megatron, you don't stop him. You just hope to contain him. You hope he just doesn't go berserk. And you got a guy like Reggie Bush that you have to watch out for. Every time that he touches the ball, he can take it the distance. You know, the positive for um, the Eagles' defense is they've been playing extremely well um, the last three or four weeks, they, they're kind of coming into their own. And I think if they can apply the kind of pressure on Matthew Stafford that they did Carson Palmer last week, then the Eagles have a very good chance at, at, at dominating, you know, that side of the football. Offensively, you know, it, it's a little different story because, you know, the Cardinals last week, I felt like they had the kind of defensive line that could cause Nick, Nick Foles and our offensive line some problems and some issues. But they held up extremely well, and they dominated the game, you know, for, through three quarters. Um, when you look at Detroit's defensive line, you know, with Sue and the guys that they have on that on that defensive line, they can cause the, the Eagles some problems too. So now we've got a trench, a trench battle again. And if they can give Nick Foles some time, um, I don't believe that – the um, Detroit secondary and linebackers, you know, are skilled enough to really handle what Chip can do um, in a diverse way with what he does with, the, with, with, with his offensive schemes. Um, so to me, it'll basically come down to, you know, if the, de- if the offensive line can handle Detroit's defensive line and the defense can show up the way they've shown up the last couple of weeks, then, hey, you know, we've got a good chance to, you know, continue this winning streak. So I'm sure you watch a lot of the Cardinals because you, because you live in that area. And it was interesting last week how Kelly really uh, turned, turns the around in the sense that he threw there was three touchdown passes to tight ends. That hasn't happened in decades. So I think everybody expects a lot of razzle-dazzle. There was certainly a hurry-up, certainly a dialogue. If you're watching the national game, there, there was some controversy, I guess you could say, about whether Chip should have uh, bled more time off of the clock at the end. But a lot of the purpose of his offense is to really tire out the defense. So, uh, you know, they're, they're a team that's go, 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 and it's hard for them to go into neutral. I wonder um, if they're going to try to go into a quick pace this, this weekend or whether the cold weather will, will, will have any bearing on, on their strategy offensively. Well, you know, that offense is a finesse offense. You know, really it's an updated run-and-shoot, you know, offense. And at the end of the day, um, with the complexities of what they do, um, and, and I give Chip a lot of credit because leading up to last week, um, the, the, the tight ends didn't see that many passes. Well, they were targeted 12 times, and they completed eight of those for three touchdowns to the tight ends last week. So that tells me that he's self-scouting. He's looking at what they're doing from an offensive perspective and saying, okay, we've been throwing the ball outside. We have some, you know, no one expects for us to throw to um, our tight ends because, you know, we're playing against the Cardinals, and they have very, very good cover linebackers, okay? So we're going to take advantage of that. You know, we're going to do something different than, than what we've been doing. So I give him a lot of credit for, for, for making those changes. But getting to the fourth quarter has been the issue for me because as a, a, a finesse football team, you know, what do you do? You spread it out, you throw it around, you go fast, so on and so forth. But, 
you know, if your intent is not to blow the scoreboard up, then how do you manage the end of games? And that's not what they've been doing. Because the issue has been is they get in the fourth quarter, they take their foot off the brake, and now all of a sudden the momentum shifts and other teams are getting back in the football game. Well, you know, what do what do what does um finesse teams not work on they don't work on short yardage they don't work on goal line and they don't work on they say they work on you know four minute at the end of the game but they really don't because what do you need to do they need to have a package where they got three tight ends a fullback and put bryce brown in the in the game and grind it out and just eat some clock up but instead what do they do they go out they run it one time the defense is blitzing every play and then they go incomplete two times and they go three and out now the momentum shifts and now we got a game where you know at the beginning of the, of the third quarter there was no game yeah, it, I, I totally agree. It just seems like a theme is closing out games. Chip Kelly's admitted, you know, he's used to being up by 40 points. There is a difference, and, and we've certainly seen him manage the clock better. We saw him made, make some rookie mistakes earlier in the season. The one thing I like about him is he's really pretty rock solid. I think he handles the media very well. It's almost a joke, the, the running so-called quarterback controversy. And last week he, he made a quote that, uh, uh, you know, of course with a straight face, he, he's – I understand Andy Reid's a hubris guy, but I've never I've never seen it as a fan. But this guy is funny. He looks at he goes, "Well, Nick Foles is going to play for the next thousand games." More or less telling him, "We have a quarterback. We're heading in." I love the way Mike Vick has also uh, supported Nick. The two of them support each other. Certainly, back in the day with Joe Pisarczyk and Roger Worski. It was a different time. You know, it was doggy dog. There wasn't a lot of real great friendship there. But I think that camaraderie between the two quarterbacks and also the, the kind of subtle way that Kelly has handled some controversy, the, uh, the, the Riley controversy, it seems like the, the teams together and certainly winning helps. But, but I, just, I just like Chip Kelly. He seems like a smart guy. And I think he handles the media pretty well. Well, you know, he does come across as funny. And um, he is handling the media well. He's handling the, the team well. And we've got this love affair with him right now because we're on a four-game winning streak. But let him falter and lose seven, eight games in a row. All of that funny stuff can change in, a, in an instant. You know how Philadelphia is. But, you know, it, it, it's the moment. And it's the same thing with Nick Foles. You know, hey, I wasn't a big Nick Foles believer. Um, but, you know, 19 touchdowns and no interceptions, you know, it's kind of changed some of that perception. I'm still not 100% sold on the fact that, you know, he may be the answer. Because for me, it's not about what you do now. It's not about what this football team looks like now, okay? It's one thing to be competitive. It's another thing to chase rings and chase championships, okay? So the question you have to ask yourself, is Nick Foles that guy that you believe? When you look at the best defenses in the NFL, in your mind, do you really perceive, do you see Nick Foles leading this football team to a Lombardi trophy? And if the answer is no, then he's not the answer. You know, now, if that answer is yes, then hey, Let's ride it out and see where it goes. Because at the end of the day, if that's the decision that he's making, that this is the guy to take, if he's if he's our Moses, if he's going to take us to the promised land, and he, you know, decides that okay, we're going to we're going to ride with this guy, then you know what? It's on his shoulders. Because I I really believe, you know, whether no matter what anybody else believes or thinks, I think that this upcoming draft will be reminiscent of the 84 draft when Kelly and Marino and all those guys came out. Those kind of drafts only come around once every 20 years, okay? So 
if they believe that Nick Foles is the guy, okay, and somewhere down the line he regresses and they don't take one of these quarterbacks in this draft, okay, that will set this organization back another five years, okay? So just just kind of food for thought. You know, I don't know whether Nick Foles is the guy. I, I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't know if he's the guy that's going to win a championship in Philadelphia. I just don't know that. You know, who knows? You know, who knew whether – who knew that Donovan McNabb would take us to five NFC championships and a Super Bowl? You, you just don't know. Um, you just base what you believe and what you think you know about the game on what you see. Um, and I could be dead wrong. You know, maybe Chip will, you know, alter some things, you know, to make it fit for Nick to be successful. And if he has all the pieces around him, he can be successful. I do know that, you know what, hey, what you see, what you saw um, Chip put together in, in college, there's an element of that that you lose when, when Nick Foles is playing. Yeah, I know. Um a little disappointed to see Mariana not come out. You know, he uh, he took a little bit of a, you know, obviously he lost some games. And uh, the Stanford game was really shocking because they had such a high-powered offense. And he decided to stay in school for another year. There was an injury to the LSU quarterback. As I see it now, certainly Johnny Mandel it might be the most exciting player. Certainly Doug Flutie was great. But Johnny Mandel, just from a pure excitement standpoint, there's more buzz with that guy than anybody. Teddy Bridgewater out of Louisville. I look at those two guys right now as, as, as two potential franchise quarterbacks. Although I see Mandel, I see his size. His shoulders are, are more narrow than mine. And I imagine if you saw Mandel back in your prime, you probably eat him like some uh, filet mignon. And I just don't know if he's going to if his body's going to be able to hold up with that style well I, listen you know the guy's smart about you know taking care of himself you know there's a difference between a quarterback that runs and thinks he's a running back and a quarterback that runs that knows he's a quarterback and he gets down and protects himself um quite frankly i you know listen i watched johnny manzel play last year and Johnny Manziel this year is 10 times better than Johnny Manziel last year. He just doesn't have the components around him to be as successful as he was last year. And last year, he kind of you know, flew under the radar. Everybody, you know, he had a bullseye on his, on his back, you know, this year. He had no defense in, in Texas A&M. And he had one wide receiver, and Mike Evans, you know, that's, that's all he had. So the guy was basically running around. But I watched his mechanics get better. I watched him be able to, to play football from the pocket. And to be honest with you, I think he's going to be a very, very successful, you know, uh, NFL quarterback. It may take a little bit of time, but I think he will. Ted, Teddy Bridgewater, no doubt about it. You know, I already tell you, I've been tooting this guy's horn for the last for the last two years but there's a series of about you know five to eight good quarterbacks that potentially could come out this year um and I just think that whether Nick Foles is the guy or he's not the guy you know it's clear that Michael Vick won't be the backup he won't be the guy here next year because that's just not going to fit he believes he's still a starter and he's going to go out and try to shop himself to do so um you you, you need a veteran so they're going to have to go out and get a veteran, a guy that can come in and step in, you know, without the deer in the headlights effect. And I still think that you have to go out and get one of these quarterbacks. And you know what? Even if you go and get him and you, he doesn't wind up, you know, he doesn't wind up beating out Nick Foles, at least you got a way to take this guy and say, okay, Nick Foles is our guy. We got somebody else, you know, to be the backup. We can use this guy's trade bait to get us additional picks because those picks are important. When you look at the good teams in the NFL, 
they stock up on draft picks. You look at San Francisco, how did they build their football team? Draft picks. You look at Seattle Seahawks, how did they build that football team with draft picks? You know, so I mean, even if it doesn't pay dividends in the in, in the immediate, later on they'll, it'll pay dividends because one thing that every football team needs is a good quarterback, and they are a valuable commodity. Well, Artie, I'll, I'm going to say a name here that no one's mentioned so far, which I think is the best quarterback in all college football because James C. Winston can't come out this year, right, Seth? And that's uh, Braxton Miller. Uh, Braxton Miller? What's his name? Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller Miller from Ohio State. I think if the Eagles went and got him, that would be such an awesome combination between Foles and Braxton because he might be able to beat uh, Braxton Miller's name. Miller might be able to beat out Nick Foles. And like Seth said, 19 touchdowns, no interceptions. He's playing really great. The Sackers got the two touchdowns the first time since 1998. That tight end in Philadelphia caught two TDs. So he's spreading the ball around, and he's, and he's moving around. And right now, uh, he's, his design runs for him. Uh, they're playing good. The defense is playing great. They're keeping him in the games. And the one thing about the Eagles they're not doing is turning the ball over. So when you don't turn the ball over and you get turnovers, you usually win the football games. They get two in a row at home, looking for three tomorrow against Detroit. And if they could, then I see them winning out. And Seth to myself said, it's going to come down to the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles for the championship in Dallas. And who knows what will happen here. I just know one thing, that in the fourth quarter, if the game's tight, the Eagles will win because one thing we got going for us is Roma plays for Dallas. Well, certainly enjoyed uh, our guest today. We certainly enjoyed talking to Seth Joyner and Artie Clear. I know all of you are going to listen to their show, and we're going to, I have a good feeling that this will be the first of many interviews as we move along, as we head into the playoffs, and uh, really enjoyed having you guys on the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the listeners for listening to Bruce the Sports Doc. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. 
I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. And I want to lead off this final segment by discussing one of the icons in the NBA. Kobe Bryant had a devastating injury. He tore his, his left Achilles tendon on Saturday, thereby ending his season, and he immediately went to have a, uh, it was turned, it turned out he had a fully ruptured Achilles, which is called a grade three ruptured Achilles. He went for surgery, which is a repair, and the, the projected recovery is six to nine months. Firstly, as a sports doctor, neurologist, and one who also had the misfortune of tearing his own Achilles, I harken back to 1997. And one thing that's almost universal with a torn Achilles is it feels as if somebody else is, is whacking on the back of the ankle with a two-by-four piece of plywood. It's, it's shocking. It's a snapping sensation. And the immediate feeling is to think that that, that somebody stepped on your ankle to look behind you. And that's exactly, exactly what happened to, to Kobe. The sense is, so let's take a look at the anatomy here. The Achilles tendon is a very strong fibrous cord that connects the muscles in the back of your calf to your heel. The big muscle is the gastrocnemius, which is the calf muscle. And there are other smaller muscles in the posterior compartment. And what happens, they all come down to form this tendon, and usually a ballistic motion, that is a springing, a jumping, a quick cut, is what causes the the ruptured Achilles. And it's very unpredictable in the sense that Kobe Bryant himself, you know, has has landed on the foot, his left leg, same leg as Bruce Sportstock's Achilles tear, literally thousands of times. And why on this one occasion? In a highly conditioned, well you know you know well stretched out athlete would just rupture the Achilles, and you know so so he had the experience of rupturing the Achilles. The surgery is actually quite um, basic in that the the tendon the portions of the tendon are actually sewn together and reconnected. When I had my tendon repair in in 1997. I actually opted to uh, to have it awake with a spinal anesthetic, and I was actually able to talk to my surgeon. and I uh, uh, I want to give him kudos, uh, Dr. James McGlynn from Crozier Chester Medical Center, uh, formal naval surgeon, excellent golfer in his own right, did a beautiful job. And now I'm here, uh, so many years later, uh, with having fully rehabilitated the leg. But I can tell you, and you can look at other athletes such as Ryan Howard, who is. Uh, still playing in slow motion for the Philadelphia Phillies and still hitting below the Mendoza line, that this is a devastating injury. You're, you're in a cast for several months, then you're in a walking boot. The reason the Achilles heal, the, the reason the tendon is so slow to heal is that it is inherently a, a rather avascular structure. What does that mean? It means that there's very poor circulation and therefore the healing process is extremely slow, like a glacier. And also, the necessary immobilization, when you've had the repair of the Achilles, what they do is they cast you in what's called plantar flexion. That is, in order to relieve tension, they have the, the toe of the foot you know, uh, for, as forward as possible. And we call that plantar flexion. And what that does is that, that relieves the tension, 
on the back of the heel. And as part of the rehabilitation process, you literally have months of regaining dorsiflexion. Dorsiflexion is when you bring the foot up. And so you gradually recondition the Achilles. During the recuperation process, the calf muscle completely atrophies. And so the two big hurdles in rehabilitation of Achilles ruptures are, number one, trying to restore range of motion to the Achilles tendon itself. And secondly, to try to restore power and bulk to the calf muscle on the affected side. So we've got Kobe Bryant, age 35, who's looking at a good year before he's going to be able to return to play. Let's talk again about the recuperation. Kobe will spend approximately 12 weeks in a cast and then will begin passive range of motion, active range of motion, and over time will eventually be able to get back to walking, walking on a treadmill, riding a bike, and then finally running. And the last stage of the recuperation will be ballistic training where he's able to to jump and land. And in looking at Ryan Howard, one of the, uh, the challenges for him was not only that he became weak in this calf, but also his hamstrings became tight and weak. And, you know, Ryan Howard is traditionally a, uh, a slow starter. But, you know, this year played with the Phillies. He's over, he's over a year past his Achilles tear, and he's still, he's still struggling to get back to form. I'd like to flip to the NFL injury update. We've been following this story for the last year. Rob Gronkowski, all-pro tight end, has had yet another complication with respect to his left forearm. You'll recall that he's had multiple fractures and multiple surgeries. The left forearm is now infected again. And pending a fourth surgery... He's now taking antibiotics, and it will probably, as of April 11th, as reported by the Boston Herald, Gronkowski will wait a few more weeks until the infection clears in order to have another surgery. And again, we're talking about somebody with multiple infections, multiple surgeries, hardware, plates, and screws. And it could take at least another 10 weeks for Gronkowski to recover after the surgery. And so it's anybody's guess how many games Gronkowski will be able to play for the New England Patriots. And when you have one limb with so many injuries, it's really tragic because uh, Gronkowski is an excellent player. And, um, and this left forearm continues to plague him. So we, we give you that injury update. I'd like to close the show where we began. Prayers for all the victims of the two bomb blasts at the Boston Marathon. You've all heard about the story. Within seconds, two, two bombs went off approximately 100 yards apart at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, which was otherwise a festive day, Patriots Day. Clear skies. Boston Red Sox game. Over 25,000 to run over 25 miles. The oldest and most revered marathon. 
shattered by the cowardly acts of perhaps a few. So as we go to air, we wish the best to all the victims and their families. We want to thank all the listeners for tuning in to Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard. Have a great week. We'll be back we'll be back next week for another edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.